You're listening to Modern Marketing, a podcast brought to you by Influicity. At Influicity, we build brand communities that drive revenue. Learn more at Influicity.com. On today's episode, Influicity CEO John Davids talks with Kate Winnick, marketing and social media thought leader at Peloton Interactive. All right. Kate, welcome to the podcast. Hi, John. Great to see you. Great to see you. Why don't you share your first insight? I would say my first insight is that social is brand and brand is social. Social is brand and brand is social. Okay. I I I love that headline. And what does that mean? To me, that means that the brands that are really smart about social media right now are the ones that are starting to understand social as a brand building function and have been able to kind of release the notion that social is a channel to be run and is instead like social is a social is a way to show up. It's a way to be with your customers, with your channels, with your marketing. And an understanding that if you're going to succeed in social, particularly in organic, I mean, paid in performance is a big part of social success as well. Then don't get me wrong. But brand has to inform a lot of that positioning, whether it's, you know, sort of how you're making selections in your influencer strategy or making sure that the same people who are designing the hashtag campaign that's going up on a billboard when you're out of home actually have like thought about how people use hashtags for more than a minute. And really making sure that a way that social is a way of being, of being social is baked into your approach. So how do you think social because the problem with the term social media is that it's one term that's been used over seven different iterations of what social media was and is. Mm-hmm. And so what do you think social media means today? If you're a social media manager at, at a company, like what is your actual job? <laughs> I love this question. And and most people hate that answer. And that's where you start getting into, you know, all of this sort of frustration about how broad the job description is and how different it can be and how inconsistent the leveling is. And I want to say, first of all, I don't think that's, that's almost, that's not really anybody's fault. It's kind of a natural evolution of something that used to be a pretty grassroots collective kind of experience, which was social media when it was being done by participants. And social media now has really evolved into kind of another media and entertainment channel. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that a lot of people making it big on TikTok and people who are still managing to build big social followings are people who have like, you know, some talent, some some entertainment background who are singers or actors or comedians um, or aspire to be on some level. And I think I think what you're really seeing ultimately is just the cream rising to the top of people who you actually want to watch over time. I mean, the latest crop of successful social networks, or even just the ones that are garnering a lot of interest, I don't know that you could say that Be Real is successful, although they say they are. But it's kind of proven, I think, in a pretty drastic way, that most of us are not on social media anymore, really, to keep up with our friends. We're kind of, we're there to brand ourselves, we're there to learn and research and shop, and we're there to be entertained. That's why Mm. people open that up. And if you happen to have great entertaining friends, then sure, there's a lot of overlap for you. And occasionally you're entertained by your friends in the same way that everybody is. But I don't think it's the primary driver anymore. You know, I get tons of notifications from TikTok all the time to follow my friends. I'm like, what do I want to follow my friends for? (laughs) It's so (laughs) true. Other more interesting people out there. And like, if I want to know what they're up to, I'll I'll just text them. 
That's so true. And it seems like ages ago, but when Facebook started, it was specifically for your friend's network and to keep up with your family photos and who's getting married and all that sort of stuff. And it's funny, when people talk about the social networks where influencers are born, obviously, it kind of started with YouTube and then Instagram and then Vine, Twitter, whatever. But in my mind, Facebook never really took off as a influencer platform because it was always sort of about your friends and family. And they've been through lots of iterations. But it's funny that you phrase it as it's not even about that anymore. It's just about the media. And the media is the entertainment value, who's the celebrity or the influencer making the content, what's new and exciting about them. Do you think that's a force of the platforms? Or do you think that's just how people really want to use it? No, I think it's how people are. I am a big believer that, you know, technology changes and media changes, but people don't change particularly. People are always people. And I think what you saw with Facebook and, you know, I began my working life in social, like at the beginning of this pivot and lived to see it through to where it is now. But there was a while there when, I mean, when Facebook first introduced Newsfeed and where they were making a big bet on news and media and publishing. And first of all, this was like the end of the world. Like anybody young listening to this is going to laugh because this is like such an old person story. This was almost 10 years ago at this point. But people were genuinely upset that Facebook had introduced a news feed and it was no longer chronological. It was algorithmic and it was no longer their friends and family. It was going to include like media sources. And Facebook pumped millions and millions and millions of dollars into media partnerships. And then kind of at a certain point, like, This was prior to Facebook becoming meta, but this was one of their first big pivots where Mark Zuckerberg announced that everybody was like, we're we're going back to community. We're going back to people. We're going back to seeing each other. And I think what they hit on, which was really interesting and coming from Peloton, where this was a huge part of our ecosystem, like it was people, but it wasn't really people you know. It was the surprising success, I think, of Facebook groups. And of the weird kinds of drama and entertainment that only crop up in groups of people who act like they know each other, but who don't actually know each other and who are able to kind of sample like it's a reality TV version of friendship and one on one relationships more so than like our actual friendships and one on one relationships. Right. It's friendships and relationships if geography and social circles didn't exist because we just kind of broke down those barriers. Well, and if, you know, it really takes, I was just speaking about this and I think it's, it's such an interesting thing, but like there's different structures that communities tend to take on in different ways that they tend to be organized and they're, they're all legitimate. But when you're talking about what sort of theoretically is called like a web community structure, right, which is a bunch of people who are brought together based on one-to-one relationships, that's really different than a pool, which is people brought together by a common interest or cause. And people who are part of the same pool don't have any expectation that they have anything else in common. And it's something that, you know, like we, do, we joke about this all the time at Peloton, not joke because it was a serious matter, but like people were very emotionally invested in what was happening in their Facebook groups. And it was really sort of mind-blowing. Like, if you own a Ford truck, and I happen to own a Ford truck, do you assume that that like, means there's any sort of relationship between us as people? <laughs> like, do we <laughs> share common values? Are we expected to behave in a certain way? Like, no. Like, we're just like, these are, this was a group of people who, on some level, have nothing more in common than the fact that they had purchased the same exercise bike. 
and yet really had so committed to the idea of the community that they were imbuing it with a lot of meaning and seeking out and layering on a lot of other types of connections. And when it went bad, it could go bad really spectacularly because at the end of the day, there were some people in those groups who had nothing in common except that they had bought the same exercise bike. And that's yeah. from how communities form in the real world, where you are forced to look for more meaningful points of connection. That's a really interesting way to break it down because I think the unique piece of a business like Peloton and a brand like Peloton is, yes, you could say lots of people like take a Ford F-150 or I buy this brand of microphone or I buy that exercise bike. But certain brands, and I would put Peloton in this bucket, and especially while, while you were there in 2022, 2023, it took on a new meaning. I mean, obviously, there was the pandemic, so people were in their homes. Mm -hmm. But it was almost like... I almost equated to a religion or a, a type of a cult almost. Like You belong to this special club. And there were the commercials that showed people in certain environments. And, the, and I'd, I'd actually love to know what your experience was like in the social media realm. Like... Did you have anything unique there versus if you were just at some, you know, if you were a social media manager at some random company that sold, you know, pups, it wouldn't make a difference. But I feel like there was a different kind of weight at Peloton. Is that is that what it felt like? That was definitely what it felt like at the beginning. And I mean, our our founder, John Foley, used that religion metaphor frequently. That that often popped up early on. Not that that was what he was trying to start, but in the sense that as people drift away from traditional institutions of affiliation, as as we no longer see each other at church or at synagogue every every week, as you know, as a lot of the traditional institutions of Western cultural life sort of devolve, people are looking for replacements. People are seeking a strong sense of community in other areas of their life. And our community for a lot of our people, particularly because we started out targeting such a specific group of people and people who already had a lot in common, they were able to really find that. And it also, you know, like any other startup, I mean, Peloton, Peloton just had their 10 year anniversary a couple of, I think it's 12 years old now. Like it's not a, it's not an old company. And so it's very much within the life cycle and the memory of our oldest customers when there were only a few dozen of them or a few hundred of them. And they mostly lived in Northern New Jersey and New York city and they knew each other like actually knew each other and have become friends and have vacationed together. And like, there was a very, very real, very literal community that formed the foundation for what we then had to figure out how to scale, which was the big challenge for the social team, which is like, how do you take something like the one-on-one -on -one relationship that you have with your trainer and make it scalable to millions and hopefully billions of people? And it's very hard to do. People don't really scale. That's always the conventional tech wisdom. And so figuring out how to scale that feeling and figuring out how to use the tools at our disposal to make it feel possible and to make it feel like enough to people who, who wanted to be a part of it. That was kind of the challenge on the table when I joined in 2018. This podcast is brought to you by Influicity. Since 2015, we've been building brand communities that drive revenue. First, we did it through influencers. Then we added podcasts. Today, we work with world-class brands to build, optimize, and run breakthrough programs that create and capture demand. It's time to stop renting your influence and start owning it. Learn more at Influicity.com. There was a time, maybe three years ago, where you would actually hear people use Peloton almost like an adjective on its own. You know, This person watches MSNBC, goes to Starbucks, and rides their Peloton. 
I'm wondering when you're in when, when when you're managing that brand image, do you lean into that or are you trying to break away from that? Both. <laughs> Both actually. Because while it's an incredible thing to be sort of nouned or adjectived in that way or verbed in this particular case, we Peloton offers so much more than just bike classes and bike hardware. Oh, we make a rower, we make a treadmill. I still say we, but you know, there's a there's a huge breadth of content and a lot of ways to access it. And so having Peloton be synonymous with bike was both an incredible gift and an incredible privilege to have created something that people love this much. And also was something that, you know, that ultimately I think the brand is addressing in a much more direct way now to say that this is not what it means to Peloton. To Peloton is to exercise at home or in a gym or in a third space, but using our content. That's what it means to Peloton. It means to train with us. It doesn't mean to get on your specific bike. Mm-hmm. So let's go back way back to 2013, 10 years ago, you're at L magazine, yeah. which feels like an eternity ago, but I, I remember L and uh, and of course I still, you know, L, L is still yeah. a big force. So what was it like managing what was the job of social media manager in 2013 versus 2023? Yeah, very I mean, in some essential way, very different, in others very much the same. And it is always funny to like see posts on social media, the media like bemoaning like job descriptions that ask for 10 years of experience in social. They're like, what was even there 10 years ago? And like, all of this was there 10 years ago. It wasn't that long ago. I think, first of all, I think working at a brand like Elle was foundationally a great grounding in where we sort of started this conversation that social is brand and brand is social and having a strong sense of brand identity is something that Elle had really cultivated and that magazine brands really cultivated. You know, you were a Cosmo girl growing up or you loved Marie Claire or, you know, you were an Elle woman and it meant something to be that to a whole, to generations of women. And that was very clearly defined and it gave us a very clear voice and a point of view on social at a time when conventions for how everybody was supposed to behave or talk on social were a lot more fluid. So it was it was an advantage to be able to work at a big brand like that that had spent so much time thinking about its identity and its customer and its reader. It was definitely the glory days of organic traffic. That's definitely something that has that has shifted in a major major way. Not organic engagement, but I mean although that too in various fits and starts, but organic traffic specifically. That like getting that sort of click like you were able to see CTRs back then that you we'll never see again. Just for context, because I think people today might not appreciate it. Like what was if you did a post on a platform, what would you get back to your site? I mean, the it was a long time ago, but I would say the the I'll put this way, the number one pin at on our Pinterest board at L in the US, which is the largest of all of the editions, that pin drove I think it was like it was something like fifty thousand clicks a month. Wow. Like eight years straight. Like, <laughs> and we tried replicating it a million times. We iterated on it over and over and nothing ever hit exactly like that one pin did. But that one pin alone was responsible for literally millions of hits over the course of its useful life. And it was really, you know, I mean, you could see weird things like that. You could see things really kind of go very, very viral. And more to the point, like there just wasn't the same demotion in the algorithm for trying to get people to click off platform. 
at that mm-hmm. point, there was still enough of a competition to build a user base that platforms allowed it because it meant that you at least, at least there was another reason for you to log on and another reason for you to be there and be a user was that you could access things that engaged you. And that's one of the biggest differences in my mind. You know, 10 years ago, you were using these social platforms to actually drive traffic back to your main property. Mm-hmm. And these days, I feel like it might be a better use of time to use the platform to actually just talk to people right. and, and not get them back. And that might, of course, interfere with the, the business model. Yeah, I don't recommend magazines as an example for a successful business model to anybody under any circumstances. <laughs> that's that's not what you want to look at for it. But I think it I think there are great examples there of of voice, of brand identity, of audience definition and segmentation for an industry that for a non-technical industry and for an industry that doesn't sell anything, they're apart from apart from the content and the magazine product, you know, you're paid in clicks. And so you have to have a really, really clear understanding of what your audience wants. And you have to be really devoted to doing nothing but that. Because if you can't capture their interest, then you failed. And that's always been the mandate in magazines. It's why I love hiring former editors for my team, because they're brought up with this really clear focus on if like, does anyone care? Is, is this something people care about right now? And if not, then we're not doing it. And yeah. it has surprised me moving into more of a marketing department focus how rarely that question is asked. You know, we do things because they're important to the business and because if we can make it work, the outcome will benefit us. And there's often much, there's sort of an assumed, like, yes, we've already thought about what our customer needs and it's our product. And we don't ask that same question with the same intensity about every piece of content or every campaign that we put out there. You know, we're, we're taking a lot more than we're giving. And I think that's something that a lot of editors are trained not to do. So let's finish off with LinkedIn. You are a top social media marketing voice on LinkedIn. You've got a large and growing audience. How are you thinking about this platform for yourself? And what do you see in it? What's the potential in it for someone like you? I think for somebody who works in social, how much you participate in social media of in your own life is... It's a really funny question. And people tend to fall really hard into one of two camps. Most social media managers, in my experience, we're behind the scenes people. That's why we do what we do. Like this push to, to put social media managers on TikTok, like that's a generational shift. And it's a big ask for a lot of people. There are a lot, even even, and it's not, it's not wholly generational. I had lots of young employees who have no desire to be on camera. You know, they started doing this kind of work because they like thinking about it and they like writing and they they love to communicate and they're smart strategists, but they don't want to be the face of anything. They don't want to make video or post photos of themselves. And then there's people who go the whole other way and their whole professional expertise is very tied up in their personal social brand. And for me, LinkedIn is sort of, I think it's an interesting, it's a, it's a nice sort of in-between in that it's a way to write in a way that's more personal and a way to write about things that I care about and that I know about. But it's not personal in the same way. It's not my face. It's not my body being scrutinized. It's not all of the pitfalls that, you know, that you know come out there when you put your personal story or your relationship out there. Like, there's no expectation that I'm going to share wildly personal things. And my private life remains my private life. And I think there's, I think there's a lot of interest in that from social media people just because it is an opportunity to do what we like to do for ourselves and for our own benefit, but without the same type of personal exposure that other channels demand. Do you see any overlap or maybe even competition between LinkedIn and the platform formerly known as Twitter? 
<laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people, yeah, like I, I think a lot of people who used to depend on that on Twitter for professional followings have migrated over to LinkedIn for sure. Just the, the instability of it all is alarming to all of us. But I don't know. I don't know that it's really the same thing because unlike Twitter, like it's always been tied to your professional identity and it's sort of uncool in a way that is really refreshing. And Twitter had like a culture of cool that was very specific to Twitter. But again, was not something that it was not a sandbox that I really wanted to play in. And the kinds of things that I feel like I'm writing about and advocating for, particularly around like the development of social media as a field. It's very, very niche, and it requires a lot of people with the same type of professional expertise to care. And that was never easy to discover on Twitter. You had to kind of find each other and then start talking about the things that care to your community. I heard a, a social media executive say to me recently, LinkedIn is like the boardroom, Twitter is like the bar after work, and TikTok is like the strip club. And I thought, okay, that's an interesting way to put it. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I think you're seeing a lot of the same people have success across multiple platforms. There are plenty of people who are doing well on LinkedIn who are also doing well on TikTok. And some of it is, and some of it again also is just the amount of energy that you have to put into it. I also, I like joke that despite being like the boring senior person on my team, I still had the like team record for most viral TikToks created. Like not big viral, but like, you know, I can still hang. I got it. <laughs> you got it. And, and, and it's important to at least understand the environment because if you're going to be creating content for it, you've got to know what, what the platform wants and, and you can get that from actually just doing it. You have to. And I mean, I think we're in... The minute you take your hands off the wheel in, in social and really say that you're just going to do strategy or you're just going to like offer feedback, the minute you stop posting, you really lose that innate sense that social people develop for how the networks are sort of hanging together and what the joke is and what the vibe is. You can't ever refuse to do that. And I think you have to be fearless with technology always and be willing to just jump in and try it and understand that the stakes are not that high. And they're lower than they've ever been. We're in like a very cringe-friendly moment on social where like everybody is embracing cringe. So this, if you've, if you've been shy, now is the right time to try it because nobody cares. <laughs> on that note that's a great way to go out thank you so much Kate for sharing your insights today thank you John great to see you thanks for listening to Modern Marketing this podcast is brought to you by Influicity empowering marketers to build customer communities that drive revenue we create massive demand via social influencer content paid media and of course podcast learn more at influicity.com